What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. I am Pat Sheehan here with my co-host Dave Morrison. Dave, welcome back, man. Yo, yo, what's good? Back from the east side of London, the dungeon. London town, mate, old chap. What was your favorite part of the trip? Saw lots of cool castles. Saw lots of big churches that are really excessive and kind of uncomfortable to be in at times because it's like huh. very expensive. But you know, because the church. Yeah, you know, it's like the church, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just there's a lot of cool stuff there, a lot of history, and it was fun. Yeah, good time. I heard you got to chill with Mark Hamill. Yeah, that, that, the fucking weirdest story, man. I was going to the Tate Modern Art Museum, really, really uh, well-known art museum there in London, around the river. And as I'm walking in, I see a red carpet. And there's no signs. I don't know what it is. It's a red carpet. They got barriers. It looks legit. And I uh, hang around for a little bit. And I watch Mark Strong walk. Walk right on in in a nice suit. You know, Kingsman yeah, fame. Soon to be in King's Maze and everything. He's awesome. Great voice. So good host, right? So I'm like, all right, something's happening. Red carpet. Then I go inside. And as I'm going through the art, uh, you know, before they close the joint down, I see uh, some tables, like an award sh- show shot you see on TV. I see a GQ Man of the Year Award, something I was not familiar with. It was on Facebook Live, so you know it wasn't like a huge thing. But there's still a lot of stars there. So once the uh, museum closed, I hung around for like an hour or so on the carpet till it started, and I saw a bunch of people. I saw some people we liked too. I saw the Stranger Things kids. I saw Jared Leto. Oh, are you talking about Finn? Finn Wolfhand? <laughs> exactly. The guy, the kid who's in who's in it. Killing the box office right now? Which one is he? I saw it. It was Will. No, Will was not there. It was uh, Caleb McLaughlin, Gatton, and then one of the other kids. But uh, Jerry Leto was there. Liam Gallagher was there, who I obviously did not notice until these girls pointed him out for me. Mark Hamill. Of course, of course the British girls love Liam Gallagher. Yeah. That's Liam Gallagher. <laughs> oh, my God. Gordon Ramsay. Knowles better. Jane Smith gave us the, the wave. Awesome. Stormzy was there. Obviously, he's British. Makes sense. So yeah, pretty cool. Awesome. I, I was disappointed. Tom Hiddleston apparently is doing a, like a three-week run of Hamlet right now in London, and that's getting like rave, rave reviews. But it's already like completely sold out, and they're not doing that many shows. And people are kind of disappointed that it's not being filmed, you know, for like TV or on BBC down the line because it's everyone loves it, but no one's gonna get a chance to see it really. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of disappointing. I mean, it's Hamlet. See Wicked. How much better could it be than any other performance of Hamlet? It's been done thousands of times, millions of times. Maybe. That's true, but they always have a review on it. Like when uh, Oscar Isaac was doing it in New York City uh, earlier this year, all like the theater critics, they have a take. It's like, I think it's more than just Shakespeare. I guess it's how they uh, portray the present it with the stage and stuff. You know, it's not just reading lines. Right. So, well, what, you know, either, either way, it's interesting. Well, we got a packed show. Before we jump in, please subscribe to us on YouTube. SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod has all the links to follow anywhere you want to. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It all helps out. Share with a friend, please. Dave, let's jump right into it, though. There's a lot of music that's come out in the last two weeks. And let's just go over the major ones. So Taylor Swift, we talked about her on our second to last pod. Boo. Song's trash. You don't like Ready For It? Right, Ready For It is better than the trash. Definitely Look better. what we made me do. But I don't think it's that great. For her first two singles for an album, this is by far her weakest, her weakest output by a mile. I agree. But, man, that hook in at the chorus, it's... It was, it, <laughs> it's Max Martin. Max Martin was on this one. And, you know, you know how he is. He's a, He has his textbook for pop hits. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, this is what we do. 
and this is what people like. And at the same time, that's why I don't like it because this feels so run in the mill for like hook making and verses and Taylor Swift song and hit. Like I don't know, it just does again. Her artistry is totally lacking through two songs. I would agree, but that chorus, man, I listened to it right before we started recording, and it's still like playing in my head. It it just it gets you. But I agree, this is definitely her weakest first two singles off any album. Also annoyed when the song drops and you know all the fans go off and listens to it, and I actually couldn't listen to it at first because the YouTube version mm-hmm. was not available to play in England. Okay, so it took me. I just heard it right away. But everyone was like, "Taylor Swift's rapping. She's better at singing than everyone, and she's better at rapping too." And I'm like, "That's not even rapping. No, Come it's, on. it's like fast spoken word. Get the fuck out of yeah, here." Yeah, I, I don't even know what that was. That was a little cringeworthy, to be honest. I don't want to hear it again. Let's put it that way. Well, what did you think of Sam Smith just dropping the single out of nowhere? Too good at, at goodbyes. Yeah, you know he's a dramatic fella in terms of his subject matter, and I guess in terms of his song dropping. It makes sense for him to drop his second album. It's been quite some time since he burst on the scene. 2014. Latch with Disclosure and then his own record as In well. In the Lonely um, Hour. Yeah, Grammys. Darling. Clean up, whatnot. Very very well-liked fella. He's only 25. It's time for Sam Smith to be back. So, I mean, I'm happy for him. And I think it's a good song. Uh, I like the chorus when the background choir comes in. It feels really Sam Smithy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's like very mellow. And then all of a sudden everything just kind of comes in and... Yeah, very Sam Smithy. Good way to put it. Yeah, it's interesting. When do you think he'll drop his album? Right around Taylor Swift? Yeah, see, it's funny because, you know, we, we always look at the calendar all the time, always thinking about windows and stuff. And, you know, we kind of picked Lord out, you know, months in advance. And we called this Taylor Swift window as well. And mm-hmm. not like it's that hard to do this, but it's what we've been doing. So, you know, subscribe because, you know, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but. There's actually, like, this fall's actually kind of getting, like, tight. Like, Zayn dropped a song with Sia. He's apparently dropping an album soon. Taylor Swift, St. Vincent, G-Eazy, ASAP Rocky probably, Beth. Like, we're getting a lot of people all of a sudden for the fall, despite a really stacked early year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Smith waits. But at the same time, you want to get on the next Grammy cycle, so he'll probably go go for it. Uh, yeah, I think November around Taylor Swift's a good good bet. Yeah, it's interesting. We were before we were saying Taylor Swift was going to have this window all to herself just to dominate, and it's looking like, especially with these two week singles, she might not even be the best album that comes out in that window, let alone dominate the end of the year. I think Sam Smith, if he drops another album as good as his freshman one, he could really take it. And Zane too. I mean, granted, my favorite Zane song is also a Taylor Swift song, so uh, take that for what it's <laughs> yeah. worth. But Which is a soundtrack song at yeah, that. But it's, it's a good soundtrack song. I don't want to live forever. Banger. Yeah, great song. <laughs> you know, someone else that's dropping an album in the upcoming months, St. Vincent. A mass mm-hmm. education slated to drop on the 13th of October, she dropped two singles, New York and Los Angeles. I mean, hey. are you a St. Vincent fan, Dave? Oh, yeah, huge St. Vincent <laughs> No, I'm not. I did not know this was her fifth album, this upcoming yeah. one. I only was really aware of her after her fourth album, which got a lot of love and mainstream attention. But th- two singles... Two Jack Antonoff collaborations. Jack is fucking everywhere, for better and for worse. Yeah, it was funny. I was uh, explaining who Jack Antonoff was to my mom. Cause we were, I was driving the car with them uh, on Labor Day, and Song by Fun came on the radio. And she was like, oh, whatever happened to this band? And I was like, well, the lead singer is not even the most famous Funny one. you ask. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, right. the guitarist is everywhere. And he's married, not married, uh, dating this really 
don't know. I, I don't even know what, what the word is to describe Lena Dunham at this point. Well respected in TV, sir. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but he really is just blowing up. St. Vincent is an interesting person because when I think about who's a comparable artist to her, I would go right to Beck because like they're yeah. artists who are very prolific. They make you know a lot of albums, but they also make really quality albums, but albums that always fly under the radar and don't get the mass appeal that they probably deserve. Multi-instrumentalists cross genre. Yes, exactly. This is much more pop though obviously due to jack yeah they're gonna be releasing these albums within a couple weeks of each other because beck is releasing his album colors this october as well so it's gonna be an interesting time and they're definitely i think probably going for the grammy nod by when they're dropping it just because they are they are grammy darlings they're gonna win awards for sure beck's last album one album of the year yep i think saint vincent's won the year before too i don't think it won you don't think so but it got a lot of love it was on a lot of year-end like you said a lot of year-end lists like at the top it was a really good album right you know what let's jump to lcd sound system so i think if anyone listens to the pod knows i'm a huge lcd sound system fan they dropped their fourth album proper album american dream first in seven years well 2011 this is happening so six years that was 2010 i guess i wrote that down wrong in my paper here but yeah, so they uh, they broke up in 2011 with a farewell show at Madison Square Garden. Then they came back and they're like, "Just kidding, we're not done yet." Dropped a nope. single for they want that money. Christmas, yeah, in uh, 2015, toured through 2016, and now here they are dropping an album. This is a uh, it's an interesting album. I know that you didn't get a chance to listen yet, but I really wanted to talk about it because I mean, being a big LCD Sound System fan, some people might even call me a stan. I was going into this album, especially after hearing the singles, somewhat with tempered expectations, but still really enjoying Call the Police and American Dream. Tonight didn't grab me so much. I guess my take on the album, it's hard to compare LCD Sound System, this album, after they dropped This Is Happening, which is a pretty perfect dance rock album. So as a follow-up, it was never going to compare. But I think it's comparable almost to their first album, which was self-titled. And the thing that I think it makes it comparable is not only the way that they kind of structure songs and they they let them build out, but the way that they, it almost is like they are trying to make songs that could come off of any of their albums. Like Emotional Haircut and Tonight sound like songs that they would have made at the beginning of LCD Sound System. But then a song like How Do You Sleep, which is this like 11 minute epic was something that would come on like this is happening. You know, it was it could have been like a B-cup. So overall, I mean, LCD Sound System at this point from just their track record, anything that they drop is going to be good. Like it's that's like the baseline for them. It could be great to legendary like this is happening or it could be just a very good album like their self-titled album and i think this one falls more towards being a very good album than a legendary album i see i see so where does james murphy stack in terms of like creators in the music world you just said he doesn't release anything bad like is he really high up there for you you know it's really interesting so the two albums i know that he was working as a producer on in the last since lcd sound system broke up was black star by david bowie which he actually his last song on this black screen was kind of a, an ode to David Bowie, in, in a sense. And he worked on Reflector with Arcade Fire, which is another amazing album, one album of the year. I think James Murphy is an incredible producer. I think the way he thinks about and works on songs is just phenomenal. But I also think he's very unique and strange. So I don't know if he, he would be up there in terms of like popular artists, but I think in terms of someone that can make a sound that 
not a lot of people can deny. I mean, his he makes dance songs that are also like like breakup songs. Like, it, like how how do you sleep? Is basically like this. Like he's talking about Tim Goldberg, the guy he started DFA Records with, and it's basically letting writing about McCartney. Basically, just like fuck you, dude. Like you ruined this. But the way that he writes about it and the way that he builds the song up, it's so layered and it's almost like perfect in a way. My favorite song off the the record. I would say he's he's high, he's high up there for me, but not he's not I'm never gonna reach popular acclaim. Just to before we wrap up on this, I know I'm getting a little long winded. <laughs> oh baby and how I used to are probably the two songs along with How Do You Sleep that I would say definitely check out if you want to kind of get the experience of this record. L C D sound debuted number one with their album, eighty five thousand sales for American Dream, but Continuing the rock trend, only 6.3 million streams for American Dream, despite being a number one album, which is really impressive. And for context, Little Uzi Vert was number two last week behind LCD, and he had 122 <laughs> million streams, so only 4 million traditional sales. And this continues the trend of uh, big rock albums, brand new, 95% traditional album sales. Arcade Fire, 94. Linkin Park, not really rock anymore, but right. 90 so, whereas hip-hop and electronic music, the majority of their revenue is generated from incredible numbers, millions of streams, rock music is still really the OG way, which is buying the album. So, it's really interesting. And that yeah, and if you had pre-ordered the album, or if you had uh, bought a ticket to one of their shows, they, they either sent you a disc for free, or you could buy the vinyl. So, I think that LCD kind of realizes, like, it's not really probably going to gain a lot of fans from the streaming services, but the way it's going to service them is by doing things like giving them a free CD or a vinyl for going to their show. LCD is a, is a band that I think you need to experience live to really understand them, but that's just my own personal bias, really enjoying LCD shows. You should go to one of them, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> Why don't we jump into some movie stuff here? So it's been a pretty horrible year for movies over the summer. In the summer. Yeah, in the summer, yeah. at least at the box office. However... Right. It's now technically the fall season, I guess. Summer is not over till what the twenty third or something like that. But yeah, Mo- movie season we're in the fall. Yeah, calendar wise, we're still at the end of summer, right? Right. And it came out this past Friday. Yeah. Did you see it? I was overseas. I don't even know if it was out over in England yet when it, when it came out. But uh, no, I did not see it. It. <laughs> but it did really good, Pat. It did do, do really well. Do you know how well it did? 123.1 million domestically good. Second yes. biggest R-rated movie opening ever good. Yeah, behind Deadpool. Best fall debut by a fucking mile. The old record was Gravity with 55.7. <laughs> More than doubled it. Yeah, and uh, it also doubled the previous horror movie R-rated record, which was Paranormal Activity 3, which is good because that probably didn't deserve the record. And holding, what, 86% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, RT, only a B-plus cinema score. Both Conjuring movies had an A-, minus, so fans are almost 50-50 on it. But overall, the you know the receipts are there. I think it's like the fifth highest grossing horror film ever already for R-rated ones. So it, that, you know, that, that'll shoot up, obviously. We'll see if it can take down the original Exorcist, which is the number one. I don't think it will, but... It depends what the legs are. We have to see, you know, how the multiplier works in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Again, not a lot of competition until Kingsman comes out, so it's got, got time. Interesting enough, one of the writer credits on this is Kerry Fukunawa, who everyone remembers as the director of True Detective Season 1. 
and he also made Feast of No Nation, the Netflix film. But he didn't actually write the final version of this. He was commissioned to write the script back in 2012, then he left the project. In 2015. Uh, Right. But they still gave him writer credit, which is interesting, I think. Yeah, there were, what, three writers who were attached to this that all got credit in some way? It's it's not, like, out of the ordinary. He got, like, the first draft credit, basically. But, you know, his name's on Right. It's also interesting because I've not seen the movie. I wonder how much they actually strayed from the original movie and moved back towards like pulling other things from the book that had to be left out obviously it's like a thousand page book or something like that so (laughs) they have a lot to pull from but this is also a two-part movie which i thought was really interesting you know i think that the success of this movie pulls on a few things i think everybody knows it clowns especially like the last two years for some reason have been weirdly popping up and being scary again (laughs) and then it it had this very much lost boys or something like that vibe and sure yeah and then it it really just you know everybody has has knows it knows the movie they probably saw the old one and it's one of those things where it looked pretty good in the trailer and i think it was you know you said it's a b plus that's a pretty good grade for a horror movie i think overall just quality probably pulled people too there and people probably just wanted to also go to the movies but on a kind of crappy weather weekend yeah and as we said before horror movies kind of have a high floor Mm -hmm. they always do right well at the box office annabelle creation was one of the biggest movies in august yeah in a week august nonetheless but still yeah so i'm, I'm curious to see the legs on this at the box office but the film industry definitely needed this hollywood needed this because it was the worst summer box office in like 16 years yeah you know disappointing not just disappointment so this is good but i probably will I, i'm not a horror movie person i never really liked horror movies at all so i will not be seeing it but you should let us know if you do manage to see it you can tweet at us at NostalgiaPod. Let us know what you think of the movie It. But something that I think is concerning me a little bit. So over the past week, Colin Trevorrow left Star Wars Episode Nine, or he was asked to leave Star Wars Episode Nine by Kathleen Kennedy, the boss. I mean, yeah, she's the the, the big swinging dick at the Cracker Factory, dude. Like she just that's for sure. <laughs> she just makes all the power moves. You know, Colin Trevorrow, what well, he directed or co-directed Jurassic World, right? Ah, he directed, directed it, yeah. it. It was his second film. He was kind of the poster child for all the young indie director, good indie film. Let's give him a franchise. Josh Trank's right. and Gareth Edwards. But he was like, you know, literally like he had one other movie. Right. And then he did Jurassic. Th- this is the second time this year, within what, three months, that a director was taken off a major Star Wars movie. I mean, Ron Howard replaced right. Lord and Miller for the Han Solo movie. We don't have a, this one wasn't filming yet though. This is only in pre-production, right? Which is much better that they're doing it now than yeah. you know right. <laughs> when you're pretty much almost in post-production with the Han Solo movie. What yeah. are your thoughts around another Star Wars director being booted out? As usual, there's a lot to dig in with this. So this was in pre-production, right? So they they had their time to make their call. As we've kind of known, with Force Awakens had a, had a rewrite. They wanted to make sure they got that right. Gareth Edwards was pulled off the end of Rogue One, so Tony Gilroy could come in with the big boy reshoots. Lord and Miller was replaced over their ways of conducting the shoot, among other things. Replaced with Ron Howard, you know, a seasoned Academy Award-winning director. Ryan Johnson, very experienced guy, you know, Breaking Bad. He's got like four other movies. Traditionalist. No problems on set at, at all for The Last Jedi, which comes out this year, which is good to hear. Given that, and Josh Trank was pulled off of an untitled spinoff very early on. So there's been a lot of lot of activity, right? Apparently this came up over rewrites with the script. I mean, obviously they know what's going to happen. Episode 9 is just a matter of the script. They obviously they've had this outline. They know how they want to end the trilogy. And I think that's kind of the, the source of it is Kathleen Kennedy, who's, you know, she has the final say over at Lucasfilm. 
she wants her and every you know everyone that works for her, they want this movie to come out a certain way. This is the trilogy Catler. You know, this mm. is the one sending off the legacy characters. Uh, Luke Skywalker, assumingly, will be in Episode Nine. Right. Carrie Fisher was supposed to have a really big role in Episode Nine before her untimely passing. So that other note, making sure you handle Carrie Fisher's death is important. But also, they they're not going to take any risks with the legacy characters, and I think that's probably the source of the issue. They want this to. You can say they want it to be safe, but at the same time, this is the most powerful brand in the history of you know humanity. <laughs> most powerful IP, most popular IP, the highest grossing IP, whatever you want to say, it is the most powerful franchise there mm-hmm. is. When you're using the most popular characters for your legacy characters, you're so connected to the original movies that are so beloved, you can't fuck it up. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, they don't want to take risks. They just want to tell directors what to do. Yeah, no fucking kidding. These are movies that make like a million, a billion and a half dollars every time, and they're so popular. I understand. Now, if we get farther along with Star Wars, and let's be real, the shit ain't gonna go away after the, you know, all the announced movies. If we get farther away from the original trilogy, farther away from Luke and Han, and if there's still a really heavy hand about how stuff is done, yeah, I, I can understand cause for concern. But at the same time, a guy like Colin Trevorrow, who apparently is kind of a cocky guy, if you're going to be a cocky guy and like putting your dick on the table in front of Kathleen Kennedy, telling her how you want to end the movie after your art house passion project, The Book of Henry, was probably the most critically panned movie of the year that also made $2 million dollars doesn't seem like a good match anymore does it he almost sounded like a bad fit anyway because he did for jurassic park with jurassic world what jj did for star wars he rejuvenated the franchise but we have nothing to go off of to expect he'd be able to end the franchise even if he was getting a lot of direction so i'm totally fine with it i hope they keep ryan johnson right or maybe like a a, you know a similar guy like a ron howard like maybe a robert zemeckis someone in the spielberg school but yeah, those are my thoughts. How, how do you feel? Well, you know, I, I feel a little bit concerned. I, I don't know if I feel concerned necessarily about the franchise, but this that this is becoming a pattern, I think, is something that isn't necessarily good. Like, you know, this is like a really like off-topic example, but so like the Boston Bruins, right, they're about to like lose their next young stud, cause, but they just won't pay him. And it's like, it might, you know, I was talking to my dad about uh, it. Gwen 2.0. And, and what he says is, good riddance, if they don't if they don't want to sign a reasonable contract, whatever. I was like, no, because eventually no young people are going to want to play for the Bruins, so they're just going to pay them. Like, you need to, like, eventually, like, make a commitment to something and stick with it. Because what director is going to want to jump on? Now, granted, the Boston Bruins are not Star Wars. Like you said, the greatest IP of all time and something that can make your career if you do it right. I do think the really positive thing is that they seem to have found directors that they feel like they can really work with to put the franchise in the direction they want to go so i don't see this being a problem that will continue to happen i think what they'll end up doing is using those like side movies you know right. Rogue One, spin-offs the anthology as like the art movies in a way let people be creative tell the stories in a certain way obviously lord and miller was a little different because they were fucking with a character who's like one of the most beloved characters of all time but I think as they get a little further away, they can let people like Jango, uh, not Jango, Jango, <laughs> Jango Fett, yeah, uh, uh, Bubba <laughs> Fett, like that movie can be a little bit darker or a little bit grittier, yeah. artsy, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think I think now that they have Ryan Johnson, I don't see why they wouldn't just be like, dude, like everybody loves you for episode eight, take the keys to nine, and like even even further after that, like if he wants to keep making movies, he's a great director. Yeah, exactly, and he's let on that he would love to do it again. He's had no complaints at all, and. He already is privy to how the story goes, so he seems like a perfect fit to just wrap up the trilogy at, at the very least. But yeah, I, I think what you said is right, because like, you know, part of the thing with Lord and Miller, and probably with Trevor too, because he's so inexperienced, is that 
Lucasfilm has such high standards, not just for like the, the details of the story, like the treatment. It's just they want these shoots to be done a certain way because there's so much on the line. Right. So when they heard that Lord Miller was doing a million shots of the same shot and doing too much improv, fucking known from the start, that's how they made movies. Mm-hmm. But it was clearly just not, not a good match, especially using the character of Han Solo. It just way, it just it's, it's too much riding on it. So you know, a lot of all the doom and gloom people be like, oh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy, you know, it's her way to the highlights. Like, yes, yeah, no director is bigger than the franchise, especially this franchise. Marvel's the same way, and so is DC. A lot of people like to say that DC is better and that they give people more chances. We haven't seen enough to truly know that yet. But again. There's a lot riding on these, and Warner Brothers cares about their money just as much as fucking Disney does. Right. Down the line, if there's still a really heavy hand about stuff, when it's farther removed from the main st- story, I understand. But in Rogue One, even with the reshoots, everybody fucking dies in Rogue One. I thought that was very different. You know, yeah. and That's why I loved it so much. So, again, let's, let's see how Episode Eight does. There's nothing negative about it at all. So I think, you know, moving forward, we, we know so much information so far in advance about movies these days. That everyone, we have our takes, then we get new information, we make new takes, and we, not, not enough things happen. You know, we have to let things happen. But So, in the meantime, I'm not, not worried. No, me neither. Something I, I'm, I'm not worried about, but intrigued about, James Bond. For the past two years, MGM has been trying to sell the rights to James Bond as a franchise. And Fox, Sony, Universal, Warner Brothers have all been trying to acquire the rights, but haven't you know, made an offer that MGM has bid on yet. Within the last, like, what, two, three weeks, Apple and Amazon have emerged as possible suitors for the James Bond rights, which, I mean, that would be a huge shakeup in the movie industry for service like Apple or Amazon, I guess not a service, a brand like them, to get such a prestigious franchise. Daniel Craig has signed on for one more, one more movie. It's dropping in 2019. Dave, I mean, do you think Apple and Amazon can actually get james bond short answer i do not i think the answer is no but they're very smart to try so like you said this deal is for distribution sony has had the distribution ever since casino royale so the whole daniel craig era that deal expired in 2015 so after spectre feels an upper grabs warner has been making a big push sony is still very interested apparently information came out in the sony hack that sony was on the hook for 50 percent of the production budget for james bond of which spectre was the most expensive bond film ever they only made 25% of the profit. So it was basically like billion dollar movie after everything else would probably take home like 40 million. So the new Sony, uh, head, head of Sony Pictures, not Amy Pascal, the new dude is known for pinching pennies. So perhaps that's why they haven't locked this deal down yet because they're a little apprehensive. At the same time, Apple and Amazon are smart to go for this because franchises don't go on the open market like this. Right. George Lucas sold Star Wars once. Whoever bought it was never going to get rid of that shit again. (laughs) And it's kind of crazy that he made $4 billion in uh, 2012, was it? 2012? Yeah. And a few years later, like, King, the maker of Candy Crush, goes for 15. And WhatsApp goes for 16. And it's clear that Disney made a fucking steal on that. But in the meantime, James Bond is up for grabs. And someone like Apple or Amazon, Amazon is making, you know, Oscar contenders. Apple's just trying to get in the game. They've announced $1 billion in original content. Having not original content, but a franchise would be a nice way to get themselves on the map. Plus, they'd probably get the money back on the free exposure because you just get to have James Bond use his Apple Watch and use an iPhone and get that free product placement. I don't think MGM will take enough risk because what can Apple and Amazon do for James Bond that 
Warner and Sony can't do better. So that's why I think ultimately they'll just go with one of the big studios. Perhaps Craig convinces them to stick with Sony for maybe one a one-off. I don't know. But it's very interesting. And if Amazon or Apple did manage to snag it, that would be really fascinating. Yeah, you know, I think if one of these were, were going to, the one that I would want to is Amazon. For as much as, as Amazon doesn't really have, like, the best streaming service, you know, they don't have, don't have the catalog that Netflix has or, like, you know, the... Correct. Even Hulu, they don't, they don't have, like... TV shows that come out, came out 24 hours before, so they don't have anything that's necessarily right. unique about them, but Amazon being a service that uh, literally, I, I would say almost everybody that uses the internet uses to buy and sell things, they could distribute like toys, things like that in such a more marketable way. They be, I think they're a much more attractive partner for MGM to, to sell with just because they could build the Bond brand. Also having a streaming service that is in place even if it's not as prestigious as other ones they could do you know like uh anthology shows things like that like a money penny show or a q show yeah. or something like that that is interesting because we're you know we're in the we're in the era of connected universes and ip mm-hmm. you know the mummy the, the bad mummy <laughs> this year is probably the dark universe you know yeah, dr jekyll and, mr uh, hyde can't frank, wait and frankenstein yeah right <laughs> but uh the people behind james bond have always been resistant to it. it hasn't been a james bond origin tv it's show gonna happen though so happen get that money penny show with shonda rhimes i don't know yeah but, uh, that's what i'm talking about odd job and jaws there's a lot of potential but yeah franchises are not available like this so everyone should be jumping at it yeah i'm surprised netflix hasn't jumped at yeah maybe it's not in their business model at this time they're like making all their own stuff they totally own remember this is just distribution right netflix, netflix is paying less and less for movie rights because they can just create stuff that they totally own right so i can understand why netflix wouldn't bother well we do have to we do have to wrap up there we've run a little long today we had a lot to catch up on though after your trip to london and we did a fall tv review just want to remind everybody bojack horseman premiered this past weekend deuce is back or on now the deuce yeah i gotta i gotta catch up on that uh, maybe we'll, well talk just, just the first week. episode just okay. the first episode is out vice principal's first episode of the final season will yes. be this coming sunday yes so we have a lot of tv to talk about and a lot of music coming up which one are you most excited about that foo fighters this friday ninth album yeah. concrete and gold and they're going harder dave Grohl, rock guy nice yeah. yeah it'll be awesome they're doing the anti-lincoln park route right uh, yeah, Dave, who are you most excited they're for? They're going harder. Funny, so Prophets of Rage, also dropping. Gucci Mane's 11th album. And <laughs> little-known hip-hop act, The Cool Kids. First album since 2011, Cool Kids. Little-known? Chuck Dude, English. Cool Kids are fucking and great. And Michael Rocks. Oh, you know The Cool yeah. Kids? Yeah. Golden the Pager, yeah. fucking banger. Great. Dude, what was One, two... Uh, they, oh God, I have that song on my iTunes. I haven't listened to them in fucking years, dude. You just gave me... Well, that's a thing. They kind of like broke yeah. up and did their own thing. Shuck and English did a lot of production, but now they're back. And uh, Special Edition Grandmaster Deluxe is the name of their, their second album, which comes out Friday. So I'm really happy for the comeback for them. Just, you know, I'm just happy to see that I'm back in the game. That's awesome. So, yeah, four albums coming out. Gucci Mane, an album come out, you know, every season, I'd say, for Gucci. So good for him. Yeah. <laughs> is this their third album, The Cool Kids? Second. They have an EP and then their one album, which came out in 2011. Gotcha. EP so, was like 08, so yeah. it's been a minute. I was going to say, I know the I know their EP. Yeah. Chuck English and Sir Michael Rocks had some mixtapes since then, like more recently. But, yeah. So, The Deuce, Vice Principles, those four albums. We'll be talking about some of that stuff next week, as well as the inedible news that happens, because, you know, 2017. Culture never stops. Right. I'm going to the Meadows this weekend, going to see Migos. And a little guy named Jay Z. 
fun. Dude, definitely check out Erica Badu. It's a conflict, but Erica Badu. Stand by. Fill time. I'm going to look it up. If you want to get in touch with us, tweet at the show at Nostalgia Pod. Find Dave at Martin Swagger. Find me at Will Peace. Give us ratings, review on iTunes. Subscribe on uh, YouTube. SoundCloud. Please subscribe on YouTube. Pod. Check out our channel trailer. Yes, it's a dope channel trailer. We use the uh, All Along the Watchtower intro from The Young Pope. I'm excited to talk Bojack with you, Dave. I know you don't watch, but this season... I want to watch. I just need to make time. I'm finishing up Twin Peaks, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, I got to make time to watch that. That's that's going to be interesting because we only have one TV here at the new apartment, so I'm going to have to clear out the paint. All right, so Erica Badu is on Saturday at 4 o'clock. Who is the conflict? Ah, the conflict is LL Cool J and DJ Z Drip. They put them I'm at the same time? Cool J, bro. Dude, yeah, you gotta go see LL yes. Cool J. Damn, that fucking sucks they put them on at the same time. We talked about the lineup a little while ago. Some good young acts, right? Joey Badass, 21, Migos. You got R2J from the Jewels. Then you got all these old Dude. heads. You got De La Soul and fucking Big Boy and LL Cool J and Nas and Jay-Z and... You have to see De La. Uh, Ray Cool... Ghostface Killer or Raekwon, one of the Wu-Tang dudes. Ghostface, I think. And yeah, I'm definitely seeing Dayla. So I'm and then a future as well. So it's a great mix of young and new hip-hop. Flappers, Zombies, Dayla, so we'll get to there. Tory Lanez, not seeing him. Uh, <laughs> Dude, definitely take a video of Gorillaz for me so I can be jealous as fuck. I'm disappointed that M.I.A. is the same time as Gorillaz because I was kind of interested to see her. Just, But I feel like I need to see Gorillaz for the whole stage set. Yeah, you, you could probably like run and catch some of M.I.A. But yeah, that, that's, a, that's another shitty conflict. Yeah, well... Nothing was as bad as Governor's Ball. YG versus Ray Shremmerd. Everyone who's going for Ray Shremmerd is also going for YG and vice versa. Why on earth would you split the crowd like well, that? Well, that, 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 that that's cruel. the point. That, they want to split the crowd. I know that's why I did it, but that was fucking cruel. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we got to wrap up. But until next week, we love you. Peace out. All my days, I'm